0: Hey everyone, this week on Life's a Beach, I chat to Freestyle Kings team rider, Pat Bowden. Freestyle Kings is a world-renowned Australian freestyle motocross team dominating the industry. They are based in Sydney, Australia, specialising in freestyle motocross shows and events globally. Then later on, lifeguard Clint joins me in the shack for Beach Banner, and I go to the mailbag to answer questions from the fans. Okay, today in the Beach Shack, it's a privilege. Uh, these guys are crazy on what they do, but uh, Pat Bowden, he's uh, here to have a chat. We were going to have uh, Josh Hennay here as well, but unfortunately with the floods uh, in Sydney, he's unable to get into the studio, and uh, we'll probably start uh, Pat with that because Josh is out on his property, but I think that's where you've uh, you set up all your uh, jumps.
1: Yeah, it's crazy. Like He sent me some photos this morning. I don't know if this if this um, podcast is going to be a video or not, but maybe we can get some photos up on the screen because it's like his compound's like three or four metres underwater. Like you can't even see it. And he's like probably 200 metres from the river and it's like almost up to his backyard. So um, yeah, it's pretty shocking. Like I don't know if you guys have had a flood like that in how long?
0: No, I think it's, uh, they've been saying 50 to a hundred years, the men of water. And I think Warragamba Dam, they've had to let water out of there. So you know that yeah. just makes it. What's it,
1: it, even it like worse. Over, over
0: the, What's it like where you guys are? Oh, certain areas of the roads are flooded, but you know it's, yeah. we're not sort of underwater. We're we're probably lucky to on the coast that the water drains away a bit, but it's um, yeah, it's still yeah, plenty true, of true. Um, plenty of floods around, which is which is not good. So, but uh, you you know you yeah, you're suppo- do you normally go out there and do the jumps? I mean, you were saying um, earlier when I was chatting to you that uh, all the jumps were set up. They put a lot of money into it and and possibly they could be just all washed away.
1: Yeah, so the compound that we ride at, that was the first compound that we kind of ever – that's sort of where our careers started, both mine and Josh. That's actually where we met um, back when we were, like, I think I was, like, 16 or 17. So it was, like, the very start of our career, and then we kind of just inherited that compound and turned it into our own training facility. And, yeah, Josh had put, like, a heap of money in recently to, like, get this, this new rent and, like, all this dirt, excavation work done, and that was only, like, literally finished, like, Two weekends ago, I was down in Sydney riding with the guys, and um, he had some big plans for it all. But it seems like at this point, it's hard to tell. But everything's underwater because the Hawks is part of the Hawksbury River, you know. So yeah. we're assuming all the ramps and everything have been washed away. So yeah, I, I think, think the those last... plans will probably be put on hold for a little bit.
0: Yeah, I mean the last report the Hawkesbury year was well and truly overflowing, so that's that's not good news. But just for the listeners out there to to let you know who Josh is, he's the uh, creator of Freestyle Kings and. Maybe Pat, tell us a little bit about that, how that came about, the uh, Freestyle Kings.
1: Yeah, so Freestyle Kings, like obviously me and Josh, we started as young kids who were like watching all the freestyle motocross movies growing up and we were absolutely obsessed with it. And um, we always had big dreams for ourselves to go down that route and be like the next like the next guys in freestyle to take the sport to the next level. And it kind of got to a point where like we both had our fair share of big injuries. Like we both broke our femurs when we were, I think, 19 years old and Um, got to a point where so Josh's brother Ben had a few like pretty serious life-threatening injuries and Josh kind of he still rides and he's still a super talented rider but he went into the business route and like promotions and stuff like that Um, so he started the company Freestyle Kings and basically um, he he employs pretty much every rider in Australia and takes them around the world over to America over to China and um, he's just starting his own his own live show in Australia in April we're going to do a do a yeah an Australian tour so it's pretty exciting as far as our industry is concerned freestyle kings is sort of like the company that you want to ride for you know so for me to see like where it's come from from about 2013 until now like it's it's pretty significant and um just for one young guy like he's not even 30 years old yet he's like he's doing really well so yeah, it's exciting, and it's it's really cool to see where he's been able to take the sport and where he's taking it.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's great to um, see the sports getting, you know, better and better. And I think, you know, you need to be involved. Like, as you said, he's a rider, so he knows what it takes he, and and helps you guys and, and takes everyone for this ride. And it's something that there's obviously other promoters out there in the past that don't don't have that, you yeah. know, um, same concept or same idea, and, and it's great that you guys are all getting together.
1: Yeah, it's so important, like growing up i've ridden for a bunch of promoters in australia and not to talk bad on anyone because anyone who's in this industry is kind of doing it because they love it in a way like they could be gone they could be doing anything else but they're in action sports for a reason but just because like they don't have the understanding of the, the actual risk that's involved because they're not writers they're kind of just businessmen like it's there's a clear like contrast between working with josh who's a writer and he he does this purely just because he loves it you know and um and he's like he's had just his fair share of injury so he fully gets it so to be working with a guy like that who fully gets the risk it's um it definitely takes the stress off you know because there's a lot of promoters who are really pushy and they want you to do certain things just for the money like the the monetary return but Josh is all about the safety first and the money and everything comes second so i think that's why actually he's probably been as successful as he has because the riders resonate with him and they're just willing to do whatever Whatever he wants, because like, it's just it's just easy.
0: What you say with the um, yeah, with the safety side of things, is there a limit? Because like, imagine jumping so high, you know, you're you got wind factor, you got you know the the weather, the rain, whatever's happening. Is there a when do you make that decision on whether it's too dangerous? Is that the rider or or who who makes that decision?
1: Bit of both, to be honest. Yeah, when you think about it, it's like we're putting our life on the line. So if someone's going to tell us to go and do something when we don't feel safe, we're not going to do it. But it's also like an experience thing because um, I remember when I was younger, I had a few big injuries at a few big like live events because perfect example is I remember this one event. It was at um, the Mean Fiddler in Sydney. It was one of my first main events that I did, and um, it was a promotional event for the Red Bull X-Fires, which was coming to Sydney for the first time out on Cockatoo Island, and I was just like a rider who was who was put there to help promote the event. And um, I remember, like, the setup was a little bit sketchy. It was on uphill driveway and stuff, and I remember the promoter kind of looking at his watch saying, like, come on, like, someone needs to jump already. And being young and dumb, I was like, I just remember thinking, the last thing that I thought in my head was stuff it, I'm just going to jump this thing. And I jumped it, and I had a, a massive accident, and completely shattered my femur into like eight pieces and it was almost a career ending in injury before my career really even started. So to look back at that, it's like, yeah, if someone tells you to do something and you don't feel comfortable, the biggest thing I've learned is don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and like, yeah, I don't think anyone's really in a position to ever tell someone to do to do what they don't want to do. But yeah, to answer your question, like we don't really have wind radars or whatever you would call them. It's kind of just like all of the feeling of, of what, the situation that we're in. Right. We can ride in some pretty windy conditions and, and like even rain, light rain and stuff, but it just comes down to the riders who you're with and, and what the general like vibe is on the day.
0: Yeah, I well, you're touching on uh, injuries. I've seen some of the jumps you guys do and that's insane. And I'd hate to be uh, landing from the heights you're landing from. But so run us through some of those injuries over the years. Like there's, you know, you've had obviously just, you, you mentioned uh, the, the last one, but which is probably with that, you'd write that as your worst injury and then obviously you've got other injuries that are along the way. Yeah, yeah. I
1: mean, like, so I've had some pretty bad head, head injuries back in the start of my career, like for, probably from the age of like 17 to like 23 was like sort of the really dangerous part of my career where I was still kind of figuring things out and um, I was crashing a lot, like, at one point I remember my nickname was crash just because I would crash so much. And it got to the point where I was like, I can't keep crashing this much. And I had to figure out like, what am I doing wrong? And I kind of worked out that I just wasn't paying full attention to what I was doing. And I was kind of like thinking about this or thinking about that. Or if I was at a show, I was thinking about the crowd and what the crowd thought of me. And then now when I go on and do an event, I'm like completely focused on everything, like fully aware of my body at all, at all times. But, um, yeah, so I just got back to the, from the dentist today, actually. When I was 19, on my 19th birthday, I had a big crash and knocked all my front teeth out. And fast forward, like, it's almost been 10 years now and, like, the teeth are starting to die, so I have to get, like, root canals and implants and stuff. So that was, like, a pretty steep learning curve because teeth are obviously so expensive. Yeah. But I, I ride with a mouth guard now, but, I've, yeah, I've had my fair share of injuries, that's for sure. Like, my wrist is completely, almost completely fused now. I've had to have like a full reconstruction on that and the bone taken out and like prosthetic bones put in. But um, yeah, it's hard. It's like, it's, I'm probably going to pay the price when I'm older, but for the lifestyle that this sport's given me, like I wouldn't change a thing. Like I've been so lucky to travel and see all the things that I've done and, and the price that I've paid in terms of like the injuries that I've had a kind of like, it's like an equal payoff in, mm-hmm. in my opinion.
0: Yeah, mate, that's a good perspective because obviously, you know, you've probably heard lately with you know, especially rugby league and AFL, you know, they're they're saying all the concussions from the from the head knocks and what that's going to do down the track in in later life. And as you're saying, there's a lot of injuries, but you've got to weigh up, I suppose, you know, do you wrap yourself in cotton wool and and, and don't do anything, or or do you live the lifestyle that you want to live? And you know, and there's risks in everything. You drive out on the road today in this in this. Weather that we've got in Sydney, and you know someone could plow in. Yeah. You. So, you know, there's risk no matter what you do in life. But obviously, with you guys, you're professional, and, and it's a controlled risk. How would you go with that?
1: Yeah, like it's it's really interesting because when I first came into the scene, it was still it wasn't as evolved as it is now. And this is only like ten years ago. But the older guys. Weren't really like the best mentors for us, I don't think. Like, I had to really learn the hard way. Like, I came in and no one was telling me what to do. I kind of was just watching videos and watching what everyone else was doing and just trying to copy it. And that kind of resulted in a lot of injuries. And from those injuries, I've learned how to like do what I do safely. But when I see like the new kids who are coming in, like, there's a few guys at the moment who are like 15, 16, 17. And it's good because we've got a community of guys who've all kind of had to figure out the hard way. And we want to like give back to these young guys coming up and like show them like the right and the wrong way to do things and how to present yourself the right way to sponsors and, and everything like that. So um yeah, it's yeah. it's it's crazy to see how far the sport's come.
0: Yeah, and I think that's good that you're putting back your mentoring. You've learned from the mistakes you guys made. And and you'd mentioned on that too, it's not just about jumping the, the ramps, doing the tricks. It's as you said, it's it's how you hold yourself in the media, how you hold yourself with with the crowds that are coming to watch you know, all that sort of stuff really comes into play, especially these days.
1: Yeah, for sure. Like growing up, we had like certain video part, like it's kind of like the skateboarding industry, like if you can think how that was back in the day, or even the surfing industry, like it was a little bit grungy and like it was a little bit like rough around the edges and that's what I grew up watching. So when I came into the scene, I thought it was cool to kind of act like a bit of an idiot and like I quickly learned that that's the wrong way to do it and like I kind of, had a bad name in the industry for the first two years of my career because, like, I didn't. No one told me, and like, I didn't know. I thought that's what everyone did. Yeah. But then, um, yeah, I had to learn the hard way. And then after like ten years, I'm like, all right, this is the way you do things. Yeah. So I think it's it's important, and especially like now with the technology that we have to build these ramps and these safe landings. Like it was only ever just a ramp to dirt, and now we have like these airbag landings and stuff. So it creates. The potential to do like even more like spectacular tricks which essentially should be more dangerous but the landings are a lot safer and stuff so like for the kids who are coming through the sport now like essentially you should be able to come into the sport have a really good career and then it should be pretty safe like you should be able to do this career now and then at like 30 35 like have a good body yep. be alive like i've lost a couple of friends i've had a few friends who have had serious head injuries and become like almost like a vegetable in a wheelchair for the rest of their life. So it's like it's serious business and I wouldn't really want to see that anyone have to go through that. So, yeah, it's cool. I'm excited for these new kids who are coming in and, and I'm keen to see where they can take it.
0: Well, with the um, new kids coming through, obviously they're quite young and there's all the young kids out there that will come and watch your show. And what what do you say to the parents? Because I know most parents would be going, oh, no, I don't want my child to be doing this sort of stuff and, you know, the, the, the panic. But- yeah. You know, you've sort of you've explained it on, on how the safety's getting better. Now, what, what would you say to a parent if one of their, the, say, a ten year old is really keen, he's on his little trail bike and, and wants to start going in the same direction of you, as you have over the years?
1: I would say, like, because I that's probably the most like common question I get asked by mums. Like when I go to different events around the world, the most common question I get asked is, Oh my God, your mom must, you must give your mum a heart attack. What does your mum think? It's always, what is like, it's like always, what does your mum think? Yeah. And I'm like, my mum is so supportive. And I think she knows that it's, this is really what I was like born to do. That's what I believe anyway. And um, she knows how much like joy and happiness it brings me. So she she supports me, but I would just say like to the parents that you need to support your kid. And doesn't matter what your kid wants to do in life. Like, the way I look at it is like that kid eventually when he grows up, he's going to be his own person. And and like the impact that you have on that kid at a young age is like who that person's going to become. And if you're supportive of the kid and let him do what he wants, but be like a guide to him, then that's better than like telling him what he can and can't do. And think, think, um, I don't know, it's a, it's a tough question obviously, yeah. but yeah, like, no, that's- what i've got to experience through through doing what i've done it's like giving me the life and created the person that i am today so without that i don't even know who i would be or where i'd be uh, i could have easily gone down a different route like the way that i grew up and stuff i could have easily gotten in trouble with the police which i did a little bit when i was younger but then my dad took me out of that life and put me into motocross and gave me something to work towards every weekend and it kind of kept me focused and grounded and like and, yeah, it's crazy. Like I could eat, like easily be someone completely different right now if it wasn't for motorbikes. And I dare say like motorbikes saved my life. So yep.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It sounds um, – you know, and, and like a lot of people, you know, they do different sports or different things in their life and, it, and they look back and in hindsight, yeah, it does, does help them. They could have gone totally down the wrong path if uh, that didn't come along. When you were mentioning uh, the young kids, I noticed a young kid called, I think it's Rye Davis, He's 14. He's yeah. going to perform his first ever backflip at 14. Like, yeah. it's crazy, isn't it? How
1: crazy? How good is that? Like, I met yeah, I met Riley the other day when I was down in Sydney for the first time. And, yeah, just to see, like, when I was 14, 15, that's like where I met him at Sackville, at our compound at Sackville, which now is flooded. Yep. That was the first place that I ever rid and jumped a freestyle ramp. And I remember this, this rider taking me under his wing, Um, to get me out there. So when I met Rye, like he was at the exact same age that I was when I was out there for the first time and I was just thinking like the potential of where you could take this is so, so great and to see how like talented he is at such a young age, like you wouldn't think he was 15. The way that he talks and the way that he carries himself and the way that he rides as well, he's so talented and um, the future's bright for him. So like, yeah, the fact that Josh, the owner of Freestyle Kings has given Rye this opportunity to come and do this like major event do his first backflip? Like, yeah, yeah, it's, it's just, it makes me so happy to see. Yeah, no, Cause like, I, I, like it wasn't that long ago. I was thinking like, who, who's going to take the sport and like who's going to take this into like the future. And I didn't think that there was any riders out there until recently. I'm like, there's actually a few, like a, a decent amount of kids in Australia who like, who have been watching us this whole time and yeah, they've got crazy potential it's um it's weird because when you're in your tunnel vision zone like traveling around the world doing all these events like you don't have time to really focus on who's watching so I didn't think anyone was watching like yeah obviously there's people on Instagram who watch your videos and like yeah. your stuff but I didn't think that that was really cool fans and I was talking to some OG riders the other day while I was in Sydney as well like the original guys who really started the sport like Dane Kinnard, Kinnard and Luke Gurek they're two Australian riders who were like over in America they were like living the high life when this sport really first started and they said the same thing like I, I went up to them I'm like man like I just want you to know like you really inspired me as a kid and they had no idea they were like we didn't even think anyone was watching this but yeah. and that's I guess kind of what it's like now like I have no idea if there's kids out there but but apparently there is so I'm excited for Ryder to do his first backy and I honestly believe that he's going to be like the next Australian guy to take it to the next level
0: that's good news. And it's good to see the young kids are coming through. I remember back when I was only a young kid, and we, we went out the Easter show. The the first sort of sort of motocross stuff I saw was Evil Knievel came out, and he was he was jumping buses in, in the sports ground. Yeah. You know that that's many years probably way before you your Evil time.
1: Knievel. Did you get to watch Evil Knievel live?
0: I watched him live. I watched him live at the Easter show. Yeah. the Easter show, and um, I was, I was, it was was fantastic. I, I something that I'll never yeah. forget. And he was sort of the he was the pin up boy in the day, you know. No one was jumping the stuff yeah. that he was jumping. And as you said, yeah. I mean the, the safety, there's probably no safety back when he was doing that. But yeah, he was I remember they lined up all these buses and he's jumped over these buses for a world record and yeah, it was just absolutely crazy.
1: Yeah, he's a pioneer. He's I really look up to him. I would like to take what he did, but do a modern day twist. That's kind of what I envision myself doing. Yep. I think he, I think for for him being kind of the first guy to go down that route, like he was, he was really smart the way that he marketed himself. And obviously, towards the end, I think he went a little bit. He probably had a few head knocks, and he was yeah. a little bit like yeah. loopy. But in the beginning, like the way that he did that, kind of birthed what we're doing now. Like if it wasn't for him, I don't even know if we'd be doing what we are right now.
0: Yeah, I mean that's right. You, you look back at all these people, and it's you know they they've pioneered a lot of these sports, and and he was definitely uh. Back then he was something that no, no one could believe that what he was doing, you know, because no one has seen it before and, and you guys have taken it then to, an, to a new level. And But how do you train for all this stuff? Like, I mean, it's not like you just turn up and, and off I go and, and and work out the new sort of stunts you're going to do. How's that all come about?
1: So, like, when I was young, I was like, I want to do freestyle. That's 100% what I'm going to do one day. This is I'm talking like five, six years old. So my dad, he put me into motocross from like an early age up until about 16, 17. So every weekend, like my dad was using all the money that he would make working during the week to take me racing on the weekend and like buy parts for my bike and entry fees and fuel and all that stuff. And then like for the time period that I raced motocross and trained during the weekend stuff, that kind of built the foundation of like the bike school that I needed to then take into freestyle and then progress. Cause it's like, you need to obviously be able to ride the bike really well, but then you also need to be able to do gymnastics and have aerial awareness and stuff on the bike. So I guess that's like the foundation of it all. And then I guess it's just like a create having a creative mind. And also like, there's so many aspects of it, like the willpower and like the ability to like visualize the tricks before you learn them, everything, like it all kind of ties together. But, um, essentially it's like, I believe it's like more of a mental sport than than it is physical. It's like most of it's mental. And then, 20% of it's going out and actually just doing the tricks, but it's all like the like the ability to like imagine it before you can do it is like, is what for me anyway, I'd basically learn all the tricks in my mind before I went and learnt them in real life. And that's why I was able to progress and learn so quick because I'd spent so much time in my head just imagining them.
0: Have you got a new new trick coming up in the uh, the next show at all?
1: Yeah. So I'd I've had an injury. I've been out with an injury for the last year and a half. I had like over in Germany just before COVID hit, I snapped my wrist out of the socket. So I haven't been riding, but yeah, I've got a few events coming up where I need to learn a world's first trick. So like basically something that's never been done before. I've got a few tricks in mind, but it's like before I go out and just practice them to the airbag, I can't really like say that they're possible or not, but yeah, to um to kind of answer your question these days with, with how technical and dangerous the tricks are. We have these big, like inflatable, it's kind of built out of the same material that a jumping castles made out of, but they're just like a big pillow. And when you land on it, they, they have these valves and the air comes out. So you can kind of like launch the bikes off these ramps and do whatever you want in the air. You can like bail off the bike if you want to and land on these pillows. And it's like pretty safe. You can still get pretty seriously injured if something goes wrong, but for the most part, like it's better than landing on your head on dirt. Um, so that's kind of how we learn these tricks and we're able to progress the sport to where it's at now. But it's like it's like as long as the ramps keep getting bigger, if the landing's safe, which they are, then the progression is like, it's kind of untapped. It just depends how much time you have in the air as to what you can kind of do. And then depending on the riders and what they're willing to try, then I don't really see it slowing down anytime soon.
0: How high do you get and how long... the ramps distance like at the moment there's like a
1: standard a standard it's kind of like a global standard and it's a 75 foot gap so that's about 23 meters and then it's we're jumping about 40 feet high so it's like 12 meters roughly so it's 20 23 meters long by 12 meters high that's like the standard that's been the standard Mm -hmm. for the last 10 years but recently in the last three years we've started to like develop these new ramps it's like changing the radius and um changing like the distance so the distance is actually getting smaller but the height's getting higher right. so we're going like basically straight up into the air um which gives us more time and then the landers is getting steeper and the landers is made out of airbags and material and stuff so yeah now i was like i think we're jumping like 60 70 feet high but we're only traveling about 12 meters
0: in distance
1: which is pretty crazy
0: yeah that's crazy i i'm scared of heights mate so and they go over about 10 foot on petrified, so you you can have those uh, those jumps.
1: It's funny though, because there's a few riders who are scared of heights, but I think it's like because you're moving forward and there's all this stuff going on, the height, the height, it's not like you're looking down off a yep. veranda. You almost don't even really realize you're in the air because you're not using your eyes to see, you're kind of just using like your feeling. It'd kind of be like, I don't know if I'm not really big on surfing, but I would imagine it's similar the way that like when you finish doing a massive wave you don't really remember what you saw but you remember what you felt
0: yeah pretty it's much like kind of that yeah same same sort of feeling i can imagine yeah surfing's very similar yeah. it's, it's a feel thing and even though you do look at sort of where you're going but it is more a feel than um than actually uh looking so yeah i can imagine very similar yeah, yeah, but, but when you're flipping up in the air and like how do you know i don't know i know you practice it but how do you know when you're going to come back around? Because you, to me, you could mistime that so easy. Yeah, I don't know.
1: Like, to me now, it kind of just seems easy, but I just remember how much work went into it. I think it's like muscle memory now, but I don't know. It's hard to answer the question yeah. because, for me, it's like I just feel everything. It's like I know as soon as I left the ramp whether, like, something went wrong and I know how to fix it by, like, there's so many things you can do, like, mm-hmm. with the rotation in the air to slow it down, like you can hit the – Cause you imagine like the gyro of the wheels are spinning so fast yeah. that it creates an, a gyro effect in the air. So those wheels are spinning. If you hit the back brake and stop the wheel, then it kind of slows the rotation down. Right. So that's how you slow it down. And if you're rotating too fast, then you can like panic rev the bike, speed the back wheel up and then that will slow the rotation down. So that's for a back flip, but then for a front flip it's the opposite. So if you want to speed the rotation up, you hit the back brake and that stops the wheel and, makes you spin faster but then to slow it down you rev it so it's like yeah, yeah there's a lot to take in but if you take it slow and steady you can kind of figure it out and there's a lot of room for error and injury but it's like yeah it's kind of like just you're just trying to type, balance this tight rope between injury and like getting hurt and then success and it's like such a hard thing to figure out but the thing that i've figured out is like i just i just over practice and over prepare yeah. in the lead up to an event so that when i go and do these scary things it's like I know that I've done every single thing that I could have and it's like now it's showtime. If I crash, I crash, but there's nothing else I could have done. Like I, and so far like that seems to work. Like I haven't really had any major injuries apart from this one, but that was a mechanical malfunction. But like with all these dangerous things I've been doing over the last five years, especially yeah. I've landed all my tricks and it's like, I've just prepared over prepared and that and works. So
0: What's it like when you go out? You're going out, you know, you got the, the massive crowd, they're yelling and screaming and everything, and, and you line up and you, and you take off and, and you just absolutely nail it. Like, you know, the fans are just going crazy. And what's that feeling like?
1: Yeah, it's pretty cool. I don't know, like, you definitely feed off the energy of the crowd, but um, when I'm before I go out and perform, I'm definitely like looking at the crowd and feeling the energy and stuff. But as soon as like I'm on the on the start line and I'm about to go do my run, I completely forget that the crowd's even there. Like as far as I know, I'm by myself out in the middle of the forest at my training compound. I'm just focused on surviving and like landing this trick clean. But then as soon as I land the trick, I'm like, yeah, party time, like play with the crowd and stuff. And, and it's back to just like being in that moment. But yeah, it's like throughout my career with the injuries that I've had and stuff, like I've just taught myself to just be so present in that moment and I think that's why it's such an addictive sport what we do because there's so many like elements of like risk and adrenaline and emotions and stuff but it's also like meditation because you're so focused in that moment and you don't really get that feeling from in my experience anything else that I've ever experienced in life I've never had that feeling of what I get when I do these crazy dangerous events it's it's like you can't really even verbalize it it's just like this heightened level of living that that you can't really buy or, or get from anywhere else.
0: So with that, what, how do you think you'll go? Obviously one day you're going to have to retire from from this and then you won't have that adrenaline rush. Is there a fear there that you're always going to want that that rush and, and then maybe someday you'll have to look at something else to be able to get that? I thought
1: about that, but there's there's two ways to look at it. And I'm thinking like, especially through COVID and this injury, I've realized that, yeah, I've I've really been addicted to this feeling and without it, then it's like, it's really hard to find that um, enjoyment in other areas of life. But at the same time, like when you're pushing so hard to do these things and, and perform at such a high level, it's like really stressful and it's really taxing. And towards the end of 2019, I was getting burnt out just because I was traveling so much and like competing at such a high level all year round. And, it got to the point where I'm like, it almost was taking the fun out of it. So like, I'm thinking by the time that I'm ready to retire, like maybe I'll be ready to kind of take a step back from living in the fast lane and, and, and maybe just enjoy like life for what it is. Because yep. like my personality type is like, I want to go full gas every day while I can, but you can only do that so long before you kind of just like missing out on other areas of, of your life. And yep. that's kind of what I'm thinking like, I don't know if I retired. Probably I don't know. Get into like buy some type of business, and I'd probably just have the same mentality of going hard as hard as hell, but without the risk, without the physical risk, yeah. anyway.
0: Yeah. No, good, good answer. Um, the other thing you've mentioned—you've traveled the world for for all this—and you're a two-time World Games champion—is that something that is that the pinnacle of the sport?
1: Yeah, pretty much at this point in time. Yeah, it's like the Nitro World Games is like you could compare that to the Olympics of action sports. So yeah, like to win that, it's a pretty big deal, but it's kind of just like the human nature of things. I don't know. I kind of, I guess, take it for granted. I like worked so hard, like these trophies behind me, they're all Nitro World Games trophy. There's another one over there. I've podiumed every year for the last four years and this year it's coming to Brisbane. So I've got to kind of like back it up and start thinking about learning another new trick. But it's like, yeah, the amount of work that goes into these events to get these trophies is like crazy. You can't even explain it. But then when I get it and I'm on the podium, I'm kind of just like, eh, like what's the next thing? I kind of thing. It's weird. I don't even really care about it. Once I get it, I just want to do the next thing. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't really let it get to my head. I don't really talk about it or brag about it. I just, it is what it is. And I just want to keep doing more stuff. And like, to me, it's all about, the experience and, like, living and chasing the thing and then getting it and then doing the next thing. But uh, I don't really get too caught up on the accomplishments themselves. I don't know. It's just who I am, Like
0: Yeah, I think that's a good way to be because a lot of, um, you know, great sportsmen will say the same, you know. They're they're great at what they do. They win at at the top of their their level in their sport, but then they they go, you know, don't get a big head about it and, and move on and, and ready for the next event, whereas some you see come through that do get does go to the head a little bit, and you watch them pretty much, they mm-hmm. fall off the pedestal quite quick after that.
1: Yeah, I guess like in our sport too, like we can't really, for me anyway, like I'm not speaking for everyone, but I can't afford to be arrogant or think that I'm better than anyone because it could end like that, yeah. like so fast. Mm-hmm. And With this wrist injury, I didn't realise how serious this one was until I was talking to my surgeon, and he's like, this is potentially another career ending injury because like what happened was I dislocated the bone in my wrist Right. and um, it was in Germany and I flew home from Germany to Brisbane to get the surgery. But because it was like dislodged for so long, it lost blood supply. So then they did the surgery, put it all back in. It was all good. And then after six months, the bone started dying. So then that, and then it collapsed on itself. So they had to take that bone out and put like this prosthetic thing in and then it's only kind of just come good now, but they reckon if this, if this goes bad again, then the next surgery is take all my wrist bones out and put like a metal ball and socket in there. And then that's basically like done. Yeah. So I'm like, why am I going to act like I'm better than anyone? I mean, it makes sense if you're a musician or an actor or something like that, there's not really any risk involved and you. you kind of probably could go to your head pretty easy, yeah. but for me, I'm like, I don't know. I don't really, yeah, I don't know. It's just, it, it's just what I do and it's what I'm compelled to do. So
0: Mate, the uh, other thing I was going to chat about is uh, you said you don't do much in the ocean. Obviously, I work as a lifeguard. I'm down there all the time. Yeah. Have, have, you, um, have you ever been caught in a rip or anything or, or do you know of someone that's had to be rescued and, and caught in a rip?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I, I've nearly drowned in the ocean a few times because, like, where I grew up, I grew up um, on a, in a, at a beach town, Evans Head, so all my friends were surfers and body yep. and stuff, and I was always just the dirt bike kid, but when I couldn't go dirt bike riding, I would, like, go surfing with them and like bodyboard and stuff. And I didn't know how to read the ocean or anything. So I'd always get caught in the rips. And I remember this one time, like there was this beach and it had like rocks on both sides. So it was like a little, I don't know what that's called, but there was a real bad rip and I got sucked out. And like, I was just getting smashed against the rocks and I had like the bodyboard got like stuck under a rock and I was like connected to it. And these waves kept coming and I was like, holding my breath and then I'd put my head up and then another wave would come. And I was like, this is like, over 10 years ago so it's like a it's a vague memory but i remember that was probably the closest i've ever come to dying and my friends all thought that i was dead because i was gone for so long and i lost i lost my mate's bodyboard and lost the flippers and everything but um but yeah that was like that was pretty scary like just to feel because like with the sport that i do it's like i'm in control the whole time i'm in control of the bike as long as the bike runs well everything should be sweet but when you're surfing it's like the energy and the power that that like the Earth has, yep. you really feel yep. it, and it's like it's more powerful than anything I've ever experienced. So it's like kind of a little bit scary. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but I, well, look, it's, it's um, it, it can be crazy. I mean, it, there's two ton rocks that it moves. The ocean just moves rocks around like it's a piece of paper. It's just amazing the power behind it. Yeah. But how did you end up getting out of that then? How'd you? Did someone come and rescue you, or you you just worked your way back? I, think and, I just in?
1: Oh, that's what happened. Yeah, I got like washed up onto the rocks. So I was getting smashed by the waves against the rocks, and then I think I must have just been out at one point, like climb up yep. over the rocks, and then I kind of just got out of it eventually. But I was all cut up and stuff. But yeah, then, yeah, I got lucky, I guess.
0: Well, mate, what's uh, where is it now? To the what's your future now? Obviously, you've got the that event coming up in uh, in April up in Newcastle, I think it is. So you know, you'll do that, and, and then when's the um, the World Games on again? What is it this year?
1: Yeah, so that's uh twenty-fourth of October, I believe. We've got the first yeah, so we've got the the Freestyle Kings live tour starts in um April, in Newcastle, and then we do a Queensland tour, North Queensland tour. And then that takes us up to like the end of May. And then I've got Nitro World Games in October. But between that and like the end of the year, start of next year, my my plans to go over to America as soon as we can. Um I wanna like sort of progress my skill set and learn to like so it's like base jumping or skydiving mixed with motorcycles. Right. And I want to like – there's a guy over there at the moment, a good friend of mine, Brad O'Neill, and he's like the pioneer. He's kind of like t- taking the evil Knievel stuff to the next level. He's jumping his dirt bike off these cliffs or like not even cliffs, just like launching his dirt bike off these jumps that are so big that he's able to like pull a parachute and the parachutes – he's connected to the bike and the bike has a parachute as well. He's got a few people right. behind him who are helping him build these bikes that are going like – twice as fast as a normal bike so you can get twice as much air and, like, do all this crazy stuff. Um, and then incorporating that into, like, sort of the movie and stunt world, that's sort of where I envision myself yep. going, branching out a little bit away from just competing and doing shows and, like, more into, like, the bigger
0: one-off, yep.
1: like, spectacular, mm-hmm. Evel Knievel-type type events. That's sort of what I want to do.
0: So, like, driving, driving so out of like a...
1: It's a little getting there, but but, yeah, I'm just yep. navigating it at the moment.
0: So it'd be like just driving out of a plane or something and then just, you know, put pull the parachute and just some crazy stuff. Stuff off cliffs would be pretty – because a lot of base jumpers jump, but there's not much time to pull the chute. So I can imagine if you're driving yeah. off one and then having to pull the chute, yeah, there'd be quite an adrenaline rush.
1: Yeah, crazy, yeah. Like he's on a 450, which is pretty much like the fastest motocross bike you can get. And in the sand dunes, if you can imagine like the sand dunes out, out the back of like California – Um, Or even Mexico, or or anywhere that has sand dunes, he's hitting these things so fast that he's like got enough airtime to like fly a parachute down to the ground. So it's pretty, it's pretty significant. And um, I think there's a lot of potential where it could be taken. Like right now, it's still kind of like he's still conceiving it and building into like a thing. But eventually, I think it could be its own sport in itself. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of want to get it, get it in on that with him and help him to kind of like turn it into something. So yeah for anyone who's watched, who's listening to this right now, like stay tuned over the next year or two, because I think you're going to probably start seeing it pop up on viral videos. If you haven't already online and it's going to, it's going to, yeah, it's going to pop off for sure. I reckon.
0: Yeah. I'm sure everyone's going to keep an eye out for that. And, uh, well, at least the landings will be a bit better with the parachute. As long as your parachute works, it'd be all good.
1: Yeah. That's the thing. <laughs> like sometimes, yeah, sometimes they don't.
0: All right, Pat, mate, it's uh great having you in the, uh, beach shack and, uh, having a chat about uh what you do with the the freestyle stuff on the bikes and you know it's um crazy i've watched a lot of stuff and i've met you a few times and i'm passionate about watching you guys it's it's a great sport and i'm glad to hear it's uh, on the up and a lot of young kids are coming through and and following you
1: yeah it's awesome man thanks for having me on here it's been good to chat and um yeah, make sure make sure everyone who's listening like get on get on the internet freestylekingsentertainment.com if you want to check it out. There's a website. It'll give you more information on the show that we have coming up in Newcastle. Make sure you get your tickets because um it's gonna be awesome. And for anyone that wants to support us and come check it out, like we're all about like it's a family event. You know we're gonna like give back and we want to engage with the audience and and everyone to have like we we just want to like create a community of people that that want to have a good time and, and, like, inspire these people, you know, to, like, chase their dreams and, and, and buy a dirt black even and, and do what we're doing. So definitely come check it out if you're around, if you're interested.
0: Yeah, no, it's a great message. And, uh, yeah, everyone's get out and support them because they're uh, great guys and uh, they're doing a, a hell of a lot for, uh, for the bikes. How inspirational is Pat and what they can do on a motorbike? is absolutely jaw-dropping. Next up, Beach Banner with Lifeguard Clint. Hello, Clipper. Good to have you, mate, in the Beach Shack.
2: Thanks, Hop. Always good to be in the Beach Shack.
0: Mate, uh, you know, you're Gold Coast born and bred. You've lived up there all your life and... Probably your mates up there are probably going, why the hell do you want to come to Sydney? So <laughs> why did you come to Sydney? Oh, I ask that I ask myself that
2: every day, mate. I really do. No, it's a it's a really great place to live. And um, being a lifeguard on the Gold Coast for about seven or eight years gave it a break for a little time. Went and pursued my triathlon and surfing career. Ended up in the US. I was over there for about three years' okay. time, and then um, I just felt it was time to come home. I wasn't making a whole lot of money and um reedy's a really good friend of mine he's like mate i think um it could be a really good time to try and jump on the beach down at bondi box and a lot of the guys had been retiring and they needed some experience on the beach and then reedy's like mate just come down do the tryouts meet the boys you know i'd met you guys Mm. before um you know i wouldn't say we're close friends or anything but you know i'd met not you know most of the crew down the beach and i was like oh you know, not sure if I'm ready to jump in the deep end again. You know, like lifeguarding on the Goldie's one thing, but um, coming down to Bondi, that's just a whole yeah. nother kettle of fish. But Reedy being Reedy in his persuasive ways got me to come down, do the lifeguard test, which went well. And then the next step is obviously to interview. And then just the more and more I thought about it and entertained the idea of moving to Sydney, just appealed to me. I'd previously been in LA, so it wasn't like a big jump from yeah. a quiet place from like the Gold Coast to Sydney where you know big city town that sort of thing so it's actually probably a small step back from LA and then I started thinking about how much I love lifeguarding and then I get to do it at probably the busiest craziest beach in the world I was like this could be not only a well-paying job but something fun and you know the culture down here is pretty cool everyone that we work with are pretty much mates we're like one big family now. And looking back after three years, it was probably one of the best life decisions I've ever made.
0: Um, so you're really you're you're really enjoying it. You've been here now for three years as a lifeguard, and yeah. So in hindsight, looking back, it was a good decision. <laughs> it was definitely a good decision, mate. Um,
2: I've learned a lot as a lifeguard. I think I've grown as well. You know, you, you're always learning. Even I think someone yep. like yourself who's done it most of their life. It's like a ga- game of golf, right? There's no such thing as the perfect round. There'll yep. always be something, and especially at a beach like Bondi, that will surprise you. So I like turning up in the morning, thinking, "What's going to happen today?" Yep. <laughs> you know, you just,
0: you know, you give me that cheeky grin oh, because making, that's right. You, anything could happen at Bondi. I, I always say that, um, you know, your you're Spielberg and them can't write a movie with the stuff that happens at Bondi. It's just you, you couldn't think of it all.
2: Exactly, and that's why I guess a lot of the people often ask me with the tv show bondi rescue like you know is it scripted i'm like mate you can't script this sort of stuff like what sick freak would be writing it
0: well there's that and us imagine us trying to be actors oh it'd be be diabolical
2: (laughs) we've got good faces for radio maybe but yeah um but mate no I, i love it down the beach and you know i'm growing as a lifeguard and i i can see myself doing it for many years to come and you guys now, all my close friends, and, you know, regardless of the job, I think we'll be friends
0: for the rest of our lives. So it's been one of the best decisions I've ever made. Yeah, mate, and, and you are one of the great lifeguards we've had down there at Bondi. So appreciate you've left the Gold Coast and uh, come down to work with us. So it's always good, mate. Stay as long as you want. Yeah, thanks, mate. We'll see how we go. <laughs> Cheers, mate. Thanks for coming in. Cheers, buddy. Always good to have Clipper in the Beach Shack. Now I'll answer all the letters from the fans. This question is from Gabby and she's from Tamworth in country, New South Wales. Is it hard to paddle a rescue board? Well, Gabby, it can be uh, quite difficult to paddle a rescue board. That's something that uh, takes years to learn and, and getting out in the waves and in the ocean and, and learning how uh, all the waves work. And then also being able to pick someone up that's got no ability and no assistance for you to get them back to shore. The balance is quite difficult. So a lot of practice uh, goes into riding a rescue board. So, yeah, definitely not something that anybody can do. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Remember to subscribe to Life's A Beach wherever you get your podcasts. And hit us up with questions, comments, or follow us on our social media channels, which you can find in our show notes. That's it for today, Beach fans. Stay safe and swim between the flag.